Would you please open your Bibles to Proverbs? And would you join me as we invite the Lord to guide us today in His Word? Our gracious Father, thank You for another day that we might gather together that we might lift our voices, that we might dedicate ourselves and children, that we might hear from your servants and the work that you've been doing among the damn people. That all this we do for the glory of your name. We ask that You would take Your Word this morning and help us to not only understand it intellectually, but apply it to our lives. That we might have an understanding that directs our life. And Lord, as we we sang these songs, we, we invited You to lead us into the deep water where our, our trust in You is refined, is, is, is deepened. Lord, as, as we think about that, that may be a little scary to consider what you might, where You might take us where our feet, feet cannot touch. Where we must learn to trust You. And Lord, as I've come to understand, we learn to trust You by trusting You. And so, guide our steps. And open our eyes and teach us Your Word. In Jesus' name, Amen. I was thinking this week back to when I was about eight or nine years old. And I remember going with my family to a department store. This was before Walmart. And uh, it was a little a store like a Kmart. It was a local store. And uh, when we would go in there, it, it, I don't remember what time of year it was. It may have been around Christmas and we were going there to, you know, buy each other gifts for Christmas. We exchanged gifts as, as, you know, siblings and all that. But whatever time it was, I, I would always run to the, the toy section of the store and and I was there, and, I, and, and at that particular time in my life, I was really into Hot Wheels cars. And so I'm rifling through all them, looking for ones I didn't have and ones that I wanted, and I found one I really wanted. And, uh, and so I took that, and I went over to where my mom was in the store, and I said, Mom, can you buy this for me? And she said, no. Probably because I had more toys than I could play with. But I wanted this car, and she said no. And so I went back took it back to the place where it was, and, uh, and as I was taking it back, I thought, well, you know, she doesn't need to know if I put it in my pocket and take it home. And so that's what I did. And I made it through the store, made it out of the store, made it home. 
But at some point, either during that day or the next, I can't remember the timing exactly, but it was very shortly after I got home, somehow my parents found out, as parents often do. And do you know what my mean, terrible parents did? They put me in the car, they drove me back to the store, they marched me into the store, asked for a manager, and I had to tell the manager what I did. And I had to apologize to that manager and I had to give the car back. I was scared. I was embarrassed. I was traumatized. (laughs) Because my mean parents did that to me. In reality, it was the most loving thing that they could have done for me. I'm sure they were embarrassed. I'm sure they were inconvenienced. But I'm thankful because I don't remember ever struggling with wanting to take things that weren't mine after that. And so, this is what parenting is. It's about loving your children Enough to do what needs to be done to help them become what God would want them to become. And so this morning, as we continue through our expedition of Old Testament poetry, and as we've been looking in the book of Proverbs, we want to spend one more week looking at what the Proverbs have to say to us. As we said before, the Proverbs are the guidebook to successful living. And today we want to look at, what, at the priority of parenting. What does the book of Proverbs have to say to us as parents? And I want to, I want to kind of expand this beyond uh, just the parenting of our own children as they're growing up in the home because many of us are at the latter end or beyond that. But I want us to understand that the call that God has given to every one of us in Matthew 28, to make disciples is literally a call to be godly spiritual parents to one another. To those who are still uh, maybe a little further behind us in the process of growing up in Christ. And so we're all godly parents in some way. And so these are principles that help us in that process, though they are particularly addressed to physical parents, if you will. But we can apply them. As we've said, the book of Proverbs is about two different pathways. There is the way of wisdom and there is the way of folly. And the book of Proverbs is addressing the reality of this and saying, don't go the way of folly. And here's what will happen if you walk in that. Here's what characterizes those who do that. But instead, walk the way of wisdom. Here are the things that characterize people who do that. Here's what it looks like to to walk that way. And I define them this way. The way of wisdom is an understanding of God that gives one the ability to skillfully apply knowledge to the circumstances of life. It is an understanding of who God is that will then produce a response to that God and ultimately a surrender to Him. This is what I would call, and I define as the fear of God, is understanding God 
responding to Him in worship and awe and then yielding our life to Him. This is what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. And what is the fear of the Lord? It's the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. And so, that's the way of wisdom. The way of folly then is an understanding of myself that would give me justification to order my own life as if there is no God. I, at the age of eight or nine, was walking in the way of folly because I determined that what would make me happy, because I'm the most important person in this world, was to take that car. And if my mom, the authority in my life, does not allow me to do that, doesn't matter. I'm going to do what I want to do. And I'm going to take it. And I'm thankful that the authorities in my life decided to deal with that so that I would not continue walking in the way of folly. And so we want to talk about godly parenting. A godly parent's job is really never done. Even when they get out of the house. Because we can continue to put these principles into practice and certainly in the lives of others who are not necessarily our biological or adopted children, but those that God has allowed us to be involved with who we can have influence in their lives. And so, I want to take a look at what the book of Proverbs has to say about parenting. Well, there are two main truths that I want to point out and then look at the Scripture's The first is that as godly parents, we need to train the heart. We need to train the heart. Chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. We train, or training of the heart involves instruction. He says this, Hear my son, and and as I said before, these first nine chapters are really fatherly wisdom, like a father speaking to their son, and and giving them advice, although it would apply to daughters as well. But he says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and do not forsake your mother's teaching. Indeed, they, being the instruction, the teachings of parents, are a graceful wreath to your head and ornaments about your neck. They adorn your life in a positive way. Um... Chapter 2, verses 1-5. through My son, if you will receive my sayings and treasure my commands within you, make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. If you cry for discernment and lift your voice for understanding, if you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasure, if you take seriously the receiving of instruction, then, verse 5, you will discern the fear of the Lord and discover the knowledge of of God. Verse 9, then you will discern righteousness and justice and equity in every good course. It will have an impact upon your life in a positive, helpful way. Somebody once said, a godly mother will point her children to God by the force of her example as much as by the power of her words. Instruction is not always telling them what is right and wrong. It is living before them. Godliness. It is living out a life 
that is dependent upon God, that is looking to God. A life that says, you know what, I don't always do the right things, but I will admit when I'm wrong, I will confess it, and I will receive God's forgiveness. What a tremendous example that is to a child as they grow up. Sometimes we think we've got to be perfect if our children are going to learn from our example. No, they can learn when we screw up too. When we're willing to admit it. When we're willing to say, listen, I was not right here. Another person said, one parent can achieve more than a hundred teachers. That's not a knock on teachers. That's just the reality of the influence that a parent has over their children. You see, little girls grow up looking to their mom to show them what it means to be a woman, to be a wife, to be a mother. Little boys grow up looking to dad to see what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a father? What does it mean to be a a husband? Little girls look to their dad and they learn what kind of a man do I want to marry one day? Little boys look at their mom and say, what kind of a wife do I want one day? And so, it is an incredibly important job that we take seriously the role of parent to train the heart of a child, to instruct them with our words and with our actions, with our, just the way we live our lives. And chapter 6, verses 20-24 through 24, Give us another reminder of this. My son, he says, observe my commandment. I'm sorry, observe the commandment of your father and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart and tie them around your neck. And when you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they'll watch over you. When you arise, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light, and reproofs for discipline are the way of life. For what purpose? To keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Again, the benefits that help a child navigate the difficulties of life. I have not to my knowledge, ever spoken to a parent who's, who's raised their children who doesn't have regrets. <laughs> and I know some who, who really hate Father's Day and Mother's Day for the reason that you know, we oftentimes will, will talk about how all these things about the importance of parenting, which is, was appropriate, and they feel like, man, it's just, it's just heaping condemnation on them because they don't feel like they were a good parent. Nobody is a perfect parent. And even if you were a perfect parent, that doesn't guarantee you have perfect kids. Because guess what? We have a perfect Father in Heaven. And look what He's produced. No, seriously though, we got a perfect God who created perfect children, Adam and Eve. And what did they do? 
They went their own way. Just as every one of us will. Go our own way. Which is why Jesus came. So that He could take the punishment for our waywardness, our sin, and He paid that price. So that He might bring us back into, reconcile us with God the Father, into His family, through faith in Him. That we might walk in relationship with God again. So as parents, our job is to train our children through instruction, to train the heart of our children the instruction that we give. The second primary way in which we train is through discipline. Training involves discipline. I know that's kind of a bad word in our society today when it comes to parenting. But the Proverbs call us to this. And if this is the guidebook for successful living, if this helps us to see what it looks like to live wisely in this world, we've got to take seriously what that is. Biblical discipline. What is biblical discipline? I would define it this way. It's correction aimed at the avoidance of moral fault and the acquisition of moral insight. The purpose is to foster moral integrity. It's correction that is aimed at helping our children avoid moral fault, but to acquire moral integrity so that they will walk, or moral insight, so they will walk in moral integrity in their life. What do we see in the Proverbs? Chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord. Or loathe his reproof, for whom he lo- the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father, the son, in whom he delights. Love prompts that discipline. Chapter 13, verse 24. He who spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Now understand that some people have taken these kinds of statements and have used them as as a justification for physical abuse. I mean, to be clear, that is never, ever the intention of God or the Scriptures, and it's certainly not appropriate. But what it's calling us to is to appropriately discipline our children when they need that discipline to continue to guide their lives. The Expositor's Bible commentary says this, parental love is displayed in disciplining the children responsibly. It says too much lenience and too much harsh discipline are equally problematic. The balance comes when the child has room to grow while learning the limits. I did not like to be disciplined as a child. I did not like to have to go through what I went through with that incident that I shared or many of the others that are a part of my past. But I'm thankful that my parents loved me enough to, to discipline me. 
to bring about temporary pain in my life. Whatever form that took in order to correct and to train me in the way they would believe is right before God. Biblical discipline. There are three basic things I want to say about biblical discipline then. And that is one, biblical discipline demonstrates love, which is what I already kind of mentioned. It demonstrates love. Hebrews 12.11 talks about the discipline of, of God the Father to His children. How do we know we're children of God? Because He disciplines those who are His own. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11 says this about discipline. It says, all discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful. <laughs> right? It's not, it's not, not, doesn't feel good. But sorrowful. Yet those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Biblical discipline is the opposite of temptation, if you will. You see, discipline is painful in the moment, but leads to life. Whereas sin is pleasurable in the moment, but leads to death. And as a parent, you've got to decide, do you want your children to walk with God one day or to like you now in this moment? And that, that, that can be hard. I certainly want our kids to like us. But we've got to be willing to move beyond that and love them where they are in that moment and do what is in their best interest so that you can help train them in the direction they need to go. Now, there's no guarantees. But this is what we're called to. Because biblical discipline demonstrates love. Secondly, biblical discipline re removes foolishness. Chapter 15, verse 5 and verse 10. A fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is prudent. A fool rejects that. But one who regards it is Prudent. Verse 10, stern discipline is from him who forsakes the way. It's for him who forsakes the way. He who hates reproof will die. And then chapter 22, verse 15. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. That's a truth that we've got to come to grips with. It's part of our the, the sin nature. But as parents, we have an opportunity to be an instrument of God in their life to remove that foolishness and replace it with wisdom. And discipline is a is a an avenue in which that happens. Now we need to understand the difference between foolishness and childishness. The way I look at it is this. Childishness is when a child does something wrong, 
because they're incapable of doing what is right. For example, when you have an infant that throws their, you know, that kind of throws food on the floor, it's because they, they don't have their motor skills refined yet, and they're just flailing around, and they're, they're you know, doing things. Well, that's childishness. But when you've got a child that's about five years old and they understand and they have the capability and, you, and they know right from wrong in this regard, but they throw it on the ground in defiance, that's foolishness. And that should be remedied through some form of appropriate discipline in that moment. And as they get older, that just as the appropriateness of the discipline should meet the age and should meet their ability to know right from wrong and and all of those things. But we need to understand the difference between childishness and foolishness. So foolishness is when a person does something wrong and they know it's wrong and they have the capability of doing what's right, but they do it in defiance. That requires discipline. Thirdly, biblical discipline gives wisdom. Chapter 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. I could say a lot about that in our society today, but let's just, just you, you already know this. <laughs> we can see it all around us. People who get their own way all the time think as they grow up they should always get their own way. And whatever they think is right. And so they become wise in their own eyes. And we've already talked a little bit about that in Proverbs. In fact, the opposite of a wise person in Proverbs is a fool, but then there is a proverb, and I forget the reference, but it says, you see a man wise in his own eyes? There's more hope for a fool than for him. And again, we live in a society in this country particularly where people are wise in their own eyes. They think everything that they think is right all the time and they should always have their way. And in many ways, it is probably the product of a generation or two ago of parents who decided that discipline wasn't a good idea. Now, I'm not going to tell anybody what that discipline should look like. I know what I experienced as a child. I know what my wife and I did with our children. But whatever form of discipline, it needs to be appropriate based upon the action, based upon the child's ability to know right from wrong and to do right from wrong. And it needs to be painful enough in their life that it impacts them. Ephesians 6.4, just to quote from the New Testament, right? It says, Fathers, do not exasperate or provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So we need to train the heart of our children. We need to do these same things as we're discipling people. We need to instruct, live out before others, what it looks like to live for God. And when we mess up, we ought to be willing to say, I messed up. 
And to let that person that we are working with or, or working in a relationship with, to let them know, to be transparent and vulnerable about that. And we need to, at times, hold people accountable. And if they say they're going to do something and they don't, there ought to be some ramifications, again, appropriate to that relationship. But there ought to be those guidelines. So secondly, and we'll move through this quickly, we need to establish the home. What I mean by that are two things. Physical needs should be met. Right? As a parent, it's our responsibility to meet the physical needs of our children. And we go to chapter 31, and, uh, and in, in, in ancient times, the mother did most of the hands-on, day-to-day, excuse me, physical meeting of needs. And so the Proverbs are written, particularly in this regard, to mothers and their responsibility. And so we go to Proverbs 31, and we see that the godly mother is providing for the physical needs of her children. In chapter 31, verse 15, she rises also and is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She is caring for the physical needs for food for her children. And then verse 21, she is not afraid of the snow in her, for her household, for all of her children her household are clothed with scarlet. They have uh, warm clothing. They have the, the, their needs met for food and clothing and and uh, just all the needs of the household. Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. As parents, we are to be diligent to make sure that we're caring for the needs of our children. Whatever those needs might be. They might be for food. They might be for clothing. They might be for, for all kinds of things. Um, and then secondly, the emotional needs should be met as well. And there are a few Proverbs here that speak to that. Um, <clears throat> Proverbs 12, verse 4. Speaks about the, the husband-wife relationship in the home. An excellent wife is a crown to her husband, but she who shames him is his rottenness to his bones. You think about that contrast uh, in the home. Are we going to be a source of honor? In this case, it's a spouse, but it could be our children too. Are we going to be, are we going to be a source of honor or a source of shame? Chapter 14, verse 1, the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own words. Are we going to build up or are we going to tear down? Twenty-one verse nineteen, I have it there, and that that talks about the right. And we 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 sometimes use these proverbs jokingly with people, but <clears throat> it is better to live in a desert land than with a contentious and vexing woman. And again, that's it. Could be the other way. It could be. Of contentious and vexing man. In other words, what what's saying is it's better to go through life with very little resources, with just the bare minimum, than to live with contention all the time. I mean, think about that in our homes. And realize what what kind of an environment emotionally am I providing in my home? 
And then again, chapter 31, the Proverbs 31 woman, verses 25 and 26. Strength and dignity are her clothing. Okay? She smiles at the future. She's not afraid of what's ahead. And then it says, she opens her mouth in wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her lips. <clears throat> this is a, a, a woman who, who's providing a, a stable environment at home. So question, is your home a place where Kids can be kids. Or they can at times be childish. But when foolishness is dealt with properly. Is the environment, even the physical environment, conducive for a, a healthy place to raise children? <laughs> I like to think about two extremes. Or, or one would be, or, or, or one extreme would be, Come mom's museum. Right? Is the place where you live so sterile that your children feel like they're walking on eggshells all the time? Now, I understand everybody likes to have things in order. And I love to have things in place and things to be clean. When you got little ones, man, you might throw that out the window. Right? Because, you know, I was talking to somebody that day, man. We had white carpet in our living room when we had kids. We bought the house on white carpet. And I think every color of baby food was stained on that carpet from Josh. And he would just spit up all the time. And you just couldn't always get it all out. And finally, we ripped, ripped up the carpet and put down uh, hardwood, whatever. Because, you know, the, the, but the reality is, you know, what, what environment are we Establishing. I like to think of maybe a, a home that is conducive, like a cozy kitchen. Right? Where you know that you can come in and you can sit down and, and talk and, and, and just be yourself and know that it's just an inviting place. And so, you know, there's a lot more that can be said, but I just want to want to focus upon these few things. We we need to be realizing that our job is to train the heart of our children through instruction and discipline. Because what we want at the end of the day is not a child who is necessarily successful according to this world's standards. We want a child who's successful according to God's standards. We want a child who, who knows what it means to walk in relationship with God. Who knows how to appropriately relate to other people. And that starts in the heart. Because Proverbs 4.23 says from, we are to, to watch over our heart with all diligence because from the heart flow the springs of life. And then we want to establish our home as a place that meets the needs of our children both physically and emotionally, so that they will grow up healthy. Again, not perfect, but healthy. And then, those children grow up, they get married, and they have kids, and then those grandkids come back to your home, and then your showroom is destroyed again. Right? And that's okay. 
because then we can be a support to our children as they train up their children. And we can love those little ones again. And we can be another parent, grandparent, that is pouring into and loving on and doing all that. And generation after generation, we can raise up godly, godly people for the glory of His name. Father God, thank You for Your Word and the instruction that it gives us. Lord, there's just so much in this book of Proverbs that help us. We could spend a year more on topic after topic after topic that's addressed in these short one-verse statements that show us the difference between the way of folly and the way of wisdom. Lord, I pray that we as individuals will, will spend time reading through this book, gleaning from it the truths that guide our life. Taking to heart what is taught there. Memorizing, meditating upon these truths. That it might impact the way we live our lives. The way we parent. The way we disciple. The way that we live. And we'll give you thanks for that. You didn't leave us here to figure it out on our own. And you put your Spirit in us who guides us in understanding and applying this truth to our very lives. So we give you thanks, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we'll close by...